Hello, everybody. Welcome in to Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News and DallasNews.com. I am Evan Grant, and I know that my voice strikes you as jarring. Um, but Kevin Sherrington is not with us this week, so I drew the short straw to uh, play host. Uh, Kevin was off getting his award. This causes me great, great distress because he was voted the Texas Sports Writer of the Year for the 18th or 19th time. Actually, very well deserved. Uh, and uh, congratulations to Kevin. But it's just me and David here, two, two hacks plying their work on their beats in the Texas heat. David, how are you surviving on the Texas heat? I would say it's the extreme Texas heat, Evan. This is, uh, again, rarely do you see, we've only had one 100-degree day, but when it's 99 and a heat index of 118, I would argue, um, which is unusual for here, especially this time of year, and we're we're under a heat dome, I guess we've been told, and uh, it's not going to dissipate anytime soon. Let me just See, say, so miserable. I I don't even want to go in my pool, Evan. When the you know when the Rangers built that that roof, I didn't think it was going to be a dome that covered the entire <laughs> metroplex. But uh, apparently, over only in Arlington do they have nice, cool comfort indoors. Everywhere else, you melt the minute you hit the pavement. The uh, I I don't know if I'm going to humble brag here or if this is just um, tormenting you, but. You know, the weather was so nice in New York uh, for most of the weekend where the Rangers were, and they were off on Friday, on Thursday. So after I finished writing my column, I traveled, I, I got back, I got to New York, wrote my column, and I had not walked the High Line at all. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, spent the uh, evening, and it was just so pleasant outside. It was like 72 degrees, a light breeze. You could just walk and it felt so good. And I, I texted my wife because, you know, my wife goes outside now and she just goes, oh, my God. Um, and I, I basically just, uh, you know, kind of threw it in Gina's face because she loves New York. Um, I'm sure I'm Gina like, loves that impression that you just gave of her right there, too. Was that? Uh, a- well, I do it to her all the time. So, um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I... Uh, I tormented her with all my pictures from the High Line and from Washington Square and from Greenwich Village, uh, but it was lovely. Uh, it was it was really lovely up there? And I, I, the minute I got off the plane yesterday, I understood what everybody here was griping about. So a um, wall of heat hits you on the on the jet bridge when you're walking off. It is amazing. It's just amazing, uh, David. Just I, last night, as I went as I went to bed, just for the heck of it, now I'm I'm charting the temperatures probably obsessively just because I want to give reflection points on the day. So I went to bed last night at a little bit before midnight, about 1150. So I look at my app, the heat index at 1150 was 101. Oh my God. Um, yeah, that, that sucks. And you know, you know what else sucks, David? Um, the Rangers hitting with well, not having Kevin not moment. on the show today doesn't suck, right? That, I mean, that this, doesn't suck. That's why today doesn't suck. And uh, take to control. Borrow a line. 
Um, but the Rangers hitting with runners in scoring position lately has sucked and they have, they have hit a rough patch here. Um, uh, very clever segue, Evan, you, you should be applauded on that. I, I'm a master of the segue, um, light on substance, strong on segues, uh, All hat, I, no cattle. Okay. That's me. Um, it, it, uh, listen, they have been very productive with runners in scoring position all year. Uh, have led the league and, and really kind of trounced the league in that stat. But you knew there was going to be some kind of correction coming. Uh, it looked like they had adjusted to that correction. And they've kind of slipped back into a little bit of a funk here with runners in scoring position. This has been a challenging June, June for the Rangers. And um, uh, I, I would submit, you know, we can talk about last week and the play at home plate that may have cost them a game. We can talk about, you know, going hitless with runners in scoring position uh, in a 1 0 shutout, or actually getting a runner thrown out at home in the first inning in a 1 0 shutout at New York. And then we can talk about the lack of runners in scoring position in the third loss, in the second loss in New York. But, um, I think last night's game against a subpar Detroit team that suffered two pitching injuries in the first two innings, um, that's as bad a loss as the Rangers have had this year because close games are going to go either way a lot of the time. Um, this should not have been a close game. And and so I, I do wonder right now if there is some degree of uh, – I hate using the word pressing – but it, it certainly seems like guys are have, have a little ramped up stress in their game. Well, isn't that the other side when you're playing at such a high level for so long and you come to expect it, and then you have a prolonged dip and the, the frustration is even more. I mean, you know that's going to happen over the course of the season, but – but then, because of your start, it is so uncharacteristic. I would say, you know, athletes are constantly fighting the swings of being too high or too low. Uh, the thing about being playing so well for so long is when you go two to three weeks, uh, it seems longer than what it is, I would say, based on how well things were going before. And, um, you know, just to because I, I, I can give the raw numbers, you can interpret them, but I think since, what, June 12th, uh, they've hit just 198 with runners in scoring position. They were, uh, I guess, 0 for 10 Monday night against a Detroit team. Like you say, not just what happened early in that game, but but Detroit kind of ran through their bullpen the game before, right? So they really didn't have anyone to turn to. Uh, right. And, and they, they certainly appeared to be vulnerable uh, to a team that's struggling a little bit that's one of the best offensive teams in baseball, even with these struggles. Um, and now that the Rangers have struck out, I think 41 times since June 12th, which was also, uh, uncharacteristic of how disciplined they were in, in, in putting the ball in play. Um, so, you know, you're going to go through these stretches as a team, but that doesn't make it any easier when you're in the midst of it and you look up and you see these such uncharacteristic streaks and you go, well, this shouldn't be happening. Um, all agreed. I and and listen, that's what the best teams do is they're going to hit lulls, um, but they fight their way out of them. And the Rangers, this is this is a series. This is 
in the middle of a stretch against playoff contending teams, this is a stretch of four games at home against a Detroit team that is clearly struggling. And the Rangers need to take advantage of that. Um, and now to, in order to take advantage of that, there's no room left for mistakes in this, in this series. So um, you've got Houston coming up for four games, four big games over the weekend. Can't be affording to, to think about that. You've got to take advantage of Detroit in the next three games. I will say this, that with what the Tigers went through last night and the, the jumble that is going to ensue roster wise, just to fill out, um, to fill out the roster. Uh, the Rangers are in position to still win this series, but they've got to start executing better. Um, the strikeouts last night were a little bit alarming. And like you said, you know, they have struck out, uh, I think it was 72 times overall in the last seven games. They, they have not been a 10 strikeout team. Uh, what what it does is, you know, or, or what it's symptomatic of is I think simply the Rangers are expanding their zone. They're, they're trying to do more than they are capable of. And you're, you know, the, the, the talking points that Donnie Ecker and Tim Heyer give uh, the hitting coaches are very businesslike in this stuff. It all comes down to return on investment and, They've been they've been instructed. Look, these are pitches, and some of them may be strikes, but you don't do anything with them. You want to narrow your zone down to an area where you can really do damage, and I think the Rangers have gotten out of that a little bit. So um, that is that is a little bit concerning. the uh, The other thing that remains a concern is is the bullpen. Um, we, we, we saw that become an issue in New York on Sunday. There has been progress made in the bullpen over the last month, but I think what highlighted when the Rangers had some close, what was highlighted when the Rangers had some close games is they still don't have enough high leverage arms, um, in the bullpen that, that they can trust. And we are about to hit July. It, it is time to get serious about the trade market. Uh, the challenge for Chris Young here is that there are more teams in the playoff races than, you know, ever before because of the expanded yep. playoff field mm-hmm. and because the two central divisions really everybody's played poor, pretty much everybody's played poorly with the exception of this recent hot streak by the Reds. Um, but everybody's in the race in those divisions. So, that's going to take some time to develop, and I think that Chris is going to have to is is got to play a real kind of measuring game, for lack of a better term, of do I pounce now to get an extra couple of weeks out of an arm that I may not think is the best arm on the market, but is certainly an an, an addition, or do I wait a little bit longer and try and hope that there are going to be some other teams, particularly let's say the Cleveland Guardians who fall out of contention in the, in the American League Central and try and go there and, and get a closer. There's no guarantee that the Guardians are gonna that the Guardians are gonna fall out. But I think that's the uh, that's the waiting game that the Rangers are engaged in right now. Cleveland's a game and a half back. They're three games under five hundred, but they're a game and a half back in the American League Central. So I don't see how they could consider trading uh, a starter like Shane Bieber 
or, you know, a closer like Emmanuel Classe at this point. Well, and the other side of that is what's your, that, that's a big part of your, you know, decision making now. But so is the fact that, so what they were, they were three and three on this road trip, right? Yes. Had a good chance. To, could have been five and one or six and oh. Pretty, very easily could have won all I just say very pretty easily because I don't want to, but, but could have done that. So now you're saying, well, if we had, if we didn't have the ideal bullpen person in place, but our bullpen was a little better, are we creating a cushion here to where instead of this five game lead, now we're at seven or eight and it insulates us from some things later in the season. So well, I think you have to be juggling that as well, saying, well, look at where we are. You don't want to overreact. But at the same time, you know, we're kind of right on the border of being one of the better teams in the American League and really putting distance between ourselves and, and the rest of the group. So you, you don't want to you don't want to play around with that either. I mean, you want to treat that with respect. No, there is uh, there is some real merit to that in, in in the the risk in all of this is well you don't want to because the tournament is so deep and complicated now yeah. uh, you don't want to it's not enough to simply get to the playoffs right you don't want to play uh, a one game or a three game series and be done so you're looking for guys who can move the not just get you to the playoffs and say anything can happen. You're looking for guys who can help you win in the playoffs. And that means mm-hmm. it's got to be a starter who would fit into your top three. It means it's got to be a reliever who is a legitimate high leverage guy. Um, and, and and so that that complicates the issue as well. Uh, I I still think the Rangers are in good position. It's going to be real interesting if the Astros come in here over the weekend um, and, and make a statement, but, uh, and, and we'll see if that changes anything. But I think right now, look, the Rangers have demonstrated that they are, they are the best team in the American league West. And while Houston and Anaheim both have some really strong assets, those teams are, are the teams that have to play catch up. What the Rangers can't do is change the way they played the game here for the first three months. They've been a really good, sound, fundamental team. Um, But they're also in a stretch of 30 games in 31 days. They've had very little off time. Uh, It does tend to wear you down. And when you get worn down, you make some mistakes. When you make mistakes, you become more vulnerable. And that, I think, is what we're seeing from the Rangers. It's a question of how much can they kind of gather themselves together and say, look, we've got two weeks to go to the All-Star break. We've got a chance to catch our breath then. Right now, we've got to find a way to continue to put the hammer down and, and expand the lead a little bit. And and I found, too, when um, – I, I hate to compare one sport to another because they all have different dynamics. But when I was covering the NBA, I always found – and I went back and looked it up, and it was not unusual, even the good teams, a slump usually happened – a little before the all-star break with good teams are coming, you know, and, and I started looking at the reasons why. And I think, I think there was just a sense of mentally of, well, we're not even to, you know, the, the all-star break kind of signals, okay, now the stretch run, let's go in, in both sports. 
And it was like, man, we're still just in the middle of the grind and we haven't even gotten to the All-Star game yet. And you would see even good teams falter a little bit going into the All-Star break in the NBA. And, and, and I think you've seen that with some teams in baseball too. It's just such a long grind. I mean, it's double the grind of what the NBA is. And you can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel until you get past the All-Star game, right? Uh, no matter how many games you've played. And so, yeah, this is just grinding. And you're talking about pressing. Uh, part of pressing right now is, I don't know that it's right now in the moment, but it's hard for them not to look ahead and go, well, look, we want to be playing better ball when the Astros come in here because we can't let the Astros make a statement and tighten this thing up. So there's a sense of we got to get this right against Detroit so we'll be playing at our, you know, we're back to where we need to be when we face the Astros because we can we can kind of shut them down here. We can we need to send a signal to them. So I I think that factors in on it as well. A hundred percent, and I you know that is for a team that as a unit has not won previously. There are lots yeah. of pieces here that have gone through playoff races and lots of pieces here who have lots of experience, but for a team that has not won as a unit yet, that is. That is the danger because you are aware that you've got a really big series coming up. You know you need to win games in that series, but you also don't want to take for granted anything that you have before you get there because all that does is is put you in a in a more precarious position. Um, well, the the other thing about this week too is I kind of want to shift gears a little bit here and and get to the upcoming All Star Game. Um, the, the Rangers have not been highly represented, I would say, uh, in, in recent years. Um, I, I was wondering, let's go through and how many Ranger representatives do you think will be on this team and, and who are two or three guys who are kind of can go either way, but, but what are you looking at here? What, what are your project? Because what will be starters, uh, on Thursday and then on Sunday, the, the rest of the team will be filled out. So before we have another show, uh, it'll be set. So I wanted to hear what you thought about that. Yeah, I think that, uh, listen, Marcus Simeon, I think, is going to end up as, as a starter. He's one of five Ranger finalists. Um, he is clearly the best second baseman in the league at, at, at this time and remains popular with three different fan bases, even even in Toronto where he only played a year and where the guy who is his opposition in the finals Whit Merrifield is currently a member of the Blue Jays. So, um, and I've also heard lots of the Rangers are, are facing a whole country in three of these battles in which they're going up against Blue Jays. But, uh, I will just say that, yes, there are more people in Canada than there are in Texas but the last population estimates that I saw. Don't say that too loud. I think Texans would, would many Texans would disagree with you on that. Uh, well, I, it's 35 million, people that, 35 million people in that great big country, apparently. And um, there are uh, 29 million people in Texas. So um, I, I don't think you should be bound by facts that, that much. Uh, it's a good narrative. Let, let's, let's put it that way. I, I do think Marcus will win that battle. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for Corey Seager, even though he's played incredible since he's gotten back, to beat Bo Bichette because uh, Bo didn't miss a month. And uh, he, he's he been really good. It'll be interesting that to matters. me. That matters. Yeah, it does. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see if Corey can end up number two in the fan voting, or even if he were to finish number one in the fan voting, then he would make the team as a reserve. And I, I think he's got a real good case there. Um, but there are good shortstops in the American League. It's just that simple. Um, at third base, Josh Young is uh, went into the week with a with a slim lead over Toronto's Matt Chapman. Again, that to me that was the big upset. I did not think that even though Josh is kind of outplayed uh, a Chapman, I did not think that you would see him outpace him in the votes. Uh, it was just a 25,000 vote lead, but none of that matters now because everything goes back to zero. Um, and at that point, uh, it, it's just a head-to-head battle. So I I think that, the, that Josh has gotten a lot of momentum uh, but it will be interesting to see if if that can be uh, over if, if Chapman's name recognition and resume kind of overwhelm Josh the rookie uh, in this four day voting period. Uh, I, I I do think look, Seeger's only played forty seven games uh, this year. Um, Bichette and Wander Franco have both played 78. I do not know how popular Wander Franco is with players uh, around the league. We just saw him get benched in Tampa Bay for two games for expressing frustration and for having some issues with teammates. So I wonder if that will impact his voting with teammates. Um, But I think those are the three. Those are really the only three strong candidates to be the American League uh, shortstop uh, contingent. Mm-hmm. So um, voting for players took place over the last weekend and all this stuff about Franco kind of came out at that point in time. So we'll see if that has an impact. Uh, I do think it's going to be hard for Dolis Garcia to make the starting lineup. Um, I don't know. I don't know where he will stand with, with the players. Um, if you go simply by war, uh, Adolis ranks fourth in the American League and uh, among outfielders. And that is behind Aaron Judge, who I don't think is going to be playing in the All-Star game. So um, uh, I think Adolis has a, has a real good shot at his second All-Star appearance. He's second in the American League in RBIs. He's in the top 10 in uh, in home runs. He... He plays with a with a joy that makes fans um, the, that really bonds him with fans, and his defense is as good as any right fielder in baseball. Uh, once again, I, I I just wonder if he has become a household enough name in the way that Seager and Simeon have to carry him in a field of of six candidates. Uh, and then the last one is at catcher, where Jonah Heim has um, uh, he's he's second in the voting or was second in the first round um, to Baltimore's Adley Rutschman. He's outplayed Adley Rutschman. Uh, so the good thing for Jonah was that the three hundred or four hundred thousand dollar vote uh, discrepancy went away. I think Jonah should be the starter in the American League. I think regardless of what happens with the fan voting, 
Jonah is going to be going to his first All-Star game. And I think he felt like he should have been in the All-Star game last year in Los Angeles. So I think this is going to be some validation for him. Here, here's... Here's the downside to all this, and, and let me just let me just mention also that the fans aren't voting on pitching, but Nathan Uvalde's got a really strong case to be uh, on the starting rotation. Uh, I also know that we've seen Nathan Uvalde with two starts where his velocity has been below his season average. Would not surprise me if the Rangers decided to skip him ahead of the All Star break, maybe even you know have him make a start against Houston and then put him on the 15 day IL to get him a break and have him ready to go right out of the second half. And so that would take him out of the All-Star game. On a positive side, he's already been to an All-Star game in 2021, and he pitched. So he's been there, done that. Um, and and I, think, I think for where the Rangers want to go, a huge All-Star contingent is really, really cool. Um, but what's cooler is being ready, rested, and... Um, ready to attack the second half. And, and look, when the second half starts, the Rangers um, very quickly come out of the gate and they have, uh, they have Tampa, the Dodgers, Houston, and San Diego leading up to the trade deadline. So it's no easy schedule, even with the Dodgers, uh, even with San Diego underachieving. Um, and, and so I, I, it, it's not, I don't think it's going to bother Chris Young or Bruce Bochy uh, too much if certain players don't make the team. They just, just as soon have that nucleus rested, ready, and refreshed. That being said, so what is your prediction on the total number of Ranger representatives? And will it does it have a chance to break the single season record? For it, it won't break the season single record because I think in 2000. 11 or 2012 when Ron Washington was actually managing the team and managers still had a say in that. I think the Rangers ended up with eight all-stars at that point in time. (laughs) So uh, no, it's not going to break the record. Uh, But I'm going to say that the Rangers end up with, with four um, all-stars. And that's about right. And, and that's four all-stars through Sunday. Look, there could be more based on the replacement list and how that goes. Injuries, and it does yeah. go according to, to fan vo- uh, to player voting. So um, even if Corey Seager or Dolis Garcia finish out of the top, well, for Seager it would be the top two, and, and for Garcia it would be um, the, the top six, uh, there's there's going to be an opportunity for those guys to, to still make the team because I think there are going to be some, some potential replacements and swap outs. Well, that's a, uh, I think that's a pretty uh, comprehensive uh, assessment of where the Rangers are and, and what lies ahead for them the remainder of this week. Should we move on to the uh, NBA draft and the Mavericks from here? Well, before we do that, I think tomorrow, or well, today's the 27th, right? We are recording this on yes. June 27th. Yes. Um, I think this is the 50th anniversary of David Clyde's first start um, yes, as a major is. leaguer. Um, and... He is one of us was there, Evan. One of us was there. Well, there were 455,000 people chubbed (laughs) into Arlington Stadium that night, I believe. Um, What do you remember, David? What do you remember about that game? Well, I actually was there. There there are photos today circulating of like uh, the, the media speaking to David Clyde after the game, and front and center is a so young, he's almost unrecognizable, Brad Sham. <laughs> uh, 
the great Frank Lux is in there, Bud Kennedy's in there, quite a list. Uh, I've seen some people just recently retweet that and ask uh, with photos and the blurry photos in the background, asking if that was me in the background. I am not quite that old. Uh, when I say I went to the game, I was sitting in left field. Uh, a friend of, uh, of a neighbor of ours had uh, tickets to that game, and uh, my father did not want to go, so I went with our neighbor, and uh, we sat in left field for David Clyde's debut, and my one claim to fame from a baseball perspective is. Uh, I I actually was there. I'm not making this up. I was actually there to see him win that game, and the one the, he won the game four to three, but he did give up a home run to I believe it was Mike Adams. The home run he gave up landed two rows directly in front of me, so I almost almost came away from David Clyde's debut 50 years ago with the home run ball he gave up. What a movie. Isn't that fascinating? What a moving story that is. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of layers to the David Clyde story and, and, and Brad Townsend, his um, Brad Townsend, who has, and this wasn't one of them. So yes, <laughs> unfortunately over his, this very distinguished career, Brad has ended up somehow on the, David Clyde various anniversary beat. Um, this being the fiftieth, I think he also did the fortieth, and he may have done the twentieth. Yes. I yes, did the twenty fifth, and I think Kevin did like the thirtieth. So we we've we've regularly checked in on this. Um, and the stories to David Clyde are that the Rangers basically sacrificed him to to draw some fans and and bring some legitimacy to their or some excitement to their ballpark. It was a great lesson in what not to do with the young pitcher. Uh, the longer range stories are that. And that is still David, his legacy, right? You still hear that today. We don't yeah, want to I do mean, to this young pitcher what the Rangers did to David Clyde. Right. Don't David ago. Clyde this guy. Um, and that's why you don't see, you know, 18 year olds go straight from yeah. the minor leagues or from, from, you know, a year in college to the big leagues. Um, there's also a, a story there about uh, how David Clyde, struggled with life as a big leaguer. He certainly at 18 wasn't equipped for everything that went along with it. Um, and ultimately it cost him his career a little bit premature to getting vested for a major league uh, pension at that point in time. And there have been various movements by various advocates over the course of time to get David the, ne the necessary service time so that he would be, um, taken care of from a, from a pension standpoint. Um, that part is, is, is unfortunate because the Ranger sacrificed his career. The least you would like to think he came away with is, is, is a pension. Yeah. Um, there is a movement right now to not, not just a movement. There's actually been some, um, some real groundwork to do a documentary, a movie on, on David Clyde's career and you know if that gets him now that it has been yeah this has been in the works for a while but uh someone else has just taken over the project and i think there's a little more momentum and chance it's going to happen now than before and listen it would be a it's an interesting story i, I think one thing that we find um with the written word these days is that people pay less and less attention to anniversary stories 
But I do think that, you know, the 30 for 30 market um, and the historical documentary of stuff like that uh, or documentation of that on video, I think there is still a real market for it. And if something if something good can happen 50 years later for David, great. I think he has I think after after everything he's been through, he's adjusted to life and adjusted to, you know, what happened with his career just fine, to be perfectly honest. Now, do you want to talk Maverick 7? Um, did you want to say anything about the College World Series, David? I did not. I'm going to be honest. Even though there were some Ranger potential draft possibilities in the World Series, I did not watch it. Um, well, potentially three the top three, three of the top five players or so were in the World Series, I, I right? think. I think the way we're looking at it now, the first three players in the draft all were in the yeah. um, were not just in the world in the college world series, but in the finals. Um, Paul mm-hmm. Skeens from LSU, LSU and Florida, Cruz yeah. from LSU, and uh, Wyatt Langford from Florida. I think at the beginning of the season, um, there was some thought that Wyatt Langford might be in the Rangers' wheelhouse at number four. I think that would be the closest the Rangers could get to a dream scenario now. And we can talk about the draft um, at a later point in time, but I think more than likely the Rangers are going to pick from the two uh, top high school outfielders and high school hitters uh, in this draft, Max Clark from Indiana and uh, Walker Jenkins from North Carolina. Uh, And it's a little bit of a, it would be a little bit different track than the Rangers have taken over the last four years when they've gone with college players. But there does appear to be a very definitive top five talent list in this in this draft. And it's supposed to be a good draft, but it seems like one, two, and three are settled. And the question is, who do you go for, for Jenkins or uh, Clark? Uh, and, and just to sum up something that I'll, I have online right now, I think the consensus is that Jenkins has more power right now, more actual power. There is some thought that Clark will develop similar power, but he's considered a better overall hitter at the moment. So that's what the Rangers have to have to decide between, and, and we'll see where that goes. We're still two weeks away from the draft, uh, but we had another draft. Uh, we had an NBA draft. Why don't we actually uh, talk about a team that actually drafted, Evan? So we're we're going to do that. But talk that, about what some team might do two weeks from now. But did you see how I how I said that as one? A, too, David? Yes, 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 I saw it, and I believe I'm commenting on it with my with my commentary at the moment on what I thought about it. So uh, you he's, know, he's I, on the College World Series and uh, what the Rangers are going to do. It look just because Kevin isn't here. That's right. Doesn't mean you can take up his time and yours when you're talking. I ramble a little we bit. We know he's seventy percent of the show. <laughs> well, that's why he gets top billing. Um <laughs> but the, the the Mavericks did have a draft this week and I think the general consensus and opinion has been, oh my God, they turned one player into three. What a great job. I think you've got um a slightly different perspective on this. And w- w- what is that? They shouldn't have been allowed to do that because of how they tanked at the end of the year. Uh, They made a mockery of the competitive process. They were still in a position to play in, uh, as you saw, 
um, you know, other teams. Miami was a play-in game, and they wound up in the finals. Now, I'm not saying that the Mavericks would have made it to the finals. I, it's very clear they would not have. It was a deeply flawed team. But uh, to to just reach a point, um, it, it just made a mockery of the competitive process. And this franchise has done it before. They were actually, even though Mark Cuban was fined uh, both times, uh, they were rewarded before because it put them in a position and they came away with Luka Doncic. Uh, this time, they come away and they turn uh, the 10th pick. Uh, they get a rotation player with a, in a trade for Sacramento uh, and Rashawn Holmes, who they're going to be able to use on the front line, uh, dumped uh, a, a contract that gives them more latitude going forward now, and Davis Bertans got out from under his contract. Uh, moved back to 12 to take Derek Lively, uh, the an interior center that they a desperately need on a team that's ranked in the bottom of the NBA in terms of rebounding and uh, defensive efficiency, and moved back in too late in the first round uh, to get uh, their rookie, uh, the other rookie, Prosper, uh, from Marquette. So... Yeah, they OMC, turned, as I like to call him. Yes, OMC is is how he's known, Olivier. Uh, and do you think a guy named Olivier would be great at flopping? <laughs> Why do you say that? That seems such a stereotype. Well, yes, because Olivier was a great actor, <laughs> right? And there's a lot of acting involved in flopping. So, wouldn't a guy named Olivier that? have a good? Natural skill to flop. That's that. That's my hot basketball take. That's that's your hot take. Yeah. So all right. So yeah, yeah, everyone's raving about turning one into three, getting out from under this contract, giving yourself some financial flexibility here in the coming days to to maybe do something more in free agency than you would have been able to do. But to just completely brush aside how they put themselves in this position, uh, to, to me is irresponsible, and I still. I still argue that a franchise that takes the easy way out like this uh, is much more difficult to build a winning culture uh, when your upper management signs off and encourages and actually overrules it as it appeared it happened, the coaching staff, as far as uh, the approach for these final games of the regular season. I, I just think that creates more fissures and makes it more difficult to build a culture and get total buy-in. Uh, because culture is a very difficult thing to build in sports. And uh, when you have a positive culture, uh, I think it gives you a lot of benefits going forward and and suppresses or eliminates uh, a, a lot of the sort of problems uh, that can that can crop up when you're dealing with these egos and a long season and and frustration over the course of a season. Um, I, you know, we'll see how this turns out and and. Yeah, the, the the Mavericks got more athletic. They created, for where they were, I think they leveraged the, the spot and did as much as they could with it. But these are still two rookie players in a league where a lot of rookies don't have an immediate impact. And I, I think the excitement, I, I think what these two represent is what people are latching on to, saying how excited they are and what a great job the Mavericks did. And I think that's legitimate, but I think the actual 
what the payoff is in this coming season may not be where the excitement level is now for what the Mavericks were able to do on Thursday night in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I think both both of your statements are not mutually exclusive. They can they can be held accountable for what we feel is essentially um not giving effort, which is as bad of a to me is as bad of a, a, a label as you could put on a team. Um, and also doing a pretty brilliant job of turning a player that, you know, a, honestly, they could have taken Lively at 10. They moved down two spots. They still yep. got Lively. They got two other players. They got more financial flexibility. They did a good job once they got there. Um, but it, it can also be said that they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, the one The one question I've got is, or, or, or to your point about winning culture, listen, I think I think you can erase a lot of concerns. If you go out and you play good basketball all year and you are a definitive playoff team, and the question is whether or not you're going to have home court advantage for the first round or whether you're going to be on the or, or whether you're going to be on the road, uh, it's not going to impact your culture. If you are in a situation where you're kind of on the edge of that play in tournament um, at the end of the year, Will there be some lingering questions from players about, well, is management going to pull the plug here and just start looking at next year instead of trying to get everything that they can out of this year? And and I do think that the the Heat example should reinforce two teams that, look, you give an honest effort and you go out there and you, if you play well, things can happen in, in the postseason – regardless of what level you you start at. So uh, that's where I think the, the the culture thing would come more into play is let's see where they're at at this point in time next year. And I do think you also make a great point. They did turn one player into three, and they did get more athletic, and they did get more talented. Did they get better for 2023, 2024? I think that's still to be determined. Um, because rookies are unpredictable, and we've seen just how little, you know, with the exception of a guy like a Doncic, we see how little rookies tend to really contribute in this league. So, um, uh, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, again, that's I all mean, I've really got to say on that is, is, is I think that they did a good job uh, once with the, once they had the spot. I I agree with you. You know, there there should have been stronger repercussions. Uh, handed down to make sure that this doesn't happen with them or any other team again. Yeah, I I believe they were able to spin out of this in a better position than they should have been able to spin out of based on the consequences of their actions at the end of the year, is what I'm saying. So, yes, they should be applauded for what they did, but uh, I don't think they should have been in the position to be able to do that based on how they approached uh, the end of the season. But as we talked about before, when all this was going on, the NBA set up a very difficult precedent on this because there are teams that were clearly uh, playing for the lottery much longer and much more, they just weren't as defiant about it. I mean, the the Mavericks just basically came out and declared it, right? Uh, Other teams didn't come out and declare it. So, uh, but it was still going on. So uh, the, the NBA put themselves in, well, how can you crack down too hard on them 
when you know these other teams are doing it, the only difference is it's not as they're not as open about it. At least we're not hypo, at least we're not as hypocritical as these other teams that are doing it. So that's where that the NBA has kind of found themselves in in policing this whole thing and why you're going to have uh, these situations still arise a, a, at the end of years. But but again, yeah, I, I know there's excitement here and and these address the, the defense and rebounding both of these moves. But I will say you still need a certain level of offensive proficiency in the NBA uh, to keep time on the court. And, you know, yeah, be excited about Derek Lively and what he brings and how active he is and how he can switch uh, and what he's going to bring to the back end of your defense. But this is a guy that averaged just a little over five points in college. Um, That's not – he's going to have to show more offensive game here. And – you know, Prosper as well. Uh, I think he averaged right around uh, 14 and a half. Uh, so it, as much as the def- defensive contribution is going to be, um, you know, you're, it's about how it balances out the team. I, I think they will work and they will play because they give Dallas what Dallas has lacked this past year. But uh, I, I do think their impact's going to be greater two and three years from now than what uh it it will probably be this season. Right. And, and, and I, I, I just think I everyone think the needs Mavs, to keep that in mind. I think know. the Mavs owe it to their fans, owe it to the league yes. uh this year to not if they find themselves in a similar position to where they were at the end of the twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three season, they owe it to their fans and to the league to give a good effort. And if they don't, then there do need to be more stringent um more stringent yeah. penalties. Um, but in my mind, they won't even be in that position this year because they don't have a first-round pick. So they're not going to – there is there is no enticement for them not to play right. it all the way out this year. So there's there's that as well. But, but very quickly, uh, you know, there are a couple of other things coming up this week. The, the draft was just the, the first part of it. Uh, the first one is uh, Reggie Bullock. Um, you know, he is uh, $10.5 million. Uh, hit that contract for this next year is guaranteed on Wednesday uh, of, of this week. Um, and the, the Mavericks need to make a decision on him by Wednesday, whether to retain him or to waive him. And if they waive him, they'll have another $5 million in, in cap room that they can spend on free agency when it comes up later this week. So the next decision or the next domino uh, where we're going to see what the Mavericks are thinking will come with Reggie Bullock on Wednesday. Uh, Friday is when free agency starts, and that's where, as as we talked about before, uh, this was a fork in the road. And if if Kyrie Irving doesn't resign here, um, they're really in a bind going forward, and and it's hard to see how they spin out of it. Um, now they may regret tying themselves to Kyrie Irving. Uh, a year down the road, two years down the road. But for this year, they really don't have many options. And uh, if they are unable to retain him, um, the move they made last year to, to reconfigure the team going into the trade deadline, in, in my mind, looks even worse and, and puts them behind in, in where they need to be. So, um, and, and from what we have seen of Kyrie Irving, I'm not sure he's the sort of guy who's going to say, Oh, I can sign at twelve oh one on Friday morning, so I'm going to do that. Uh, he seems more the type to well, let's play this out and see how it's going here. I'll get around to it. So uh, I don't know that this will necessarily be resolved uh, on Friday. Uh, 
indications are that the Mavericks believe he'll be back and Kyrie Irving wants to be back here, if maybe for no other reason that this is his, clearly his best financial option. But uh, as we've seen when Kyrie Irving throughout his career, and as we've seen with the Mavericks who thought they have had players in the fold and then found out they did not, uh, I think there are still going to be some anxious moments this weekend in the uh, Mavs universe. You want Kyrie back? Well, you're talking to a person who never would have made a trade in the first place for Kyrie Irving. Right. So, um, but that being said, he is here and they have a better chance of signing him and moving him for pennies on the dollar later than they do of just losing him now and having not having the cap space to do anything close to replacing him. And and now with where they are with the defense they added, a uh, big part of last year was uh, the offensive requirements on Luca. They kind of ran him into the ground as the season went along, and he wasn't nearly as effective uh, late in the season as he was earlier. So um, if Kyrie Irving's not here, this team is wildly unbalanced again as far as the uh, the – the balance that needs to strike between offense and defense. And we'll be asking too much of him. Uh, so, so I think it's really imperative for their short term that Kyrie Irving does return here. So, but the, the one question I just have is we spent a lot of time talking about winning culture and all of that. And we, I, I, my thought all along was if you were trading for Kyrie Irving, basically as a trade piece for 2022, 2023, then that was a fine trade to pursue. Um, it didn't work out. I don't know that I want to. I I don't know that I want to line up with him long term. Um, how much concern do you have that if Kyrie comes back, it's only a matter of a time before you get the kind of personal drama that goes on with him that does potentially impact the idea of a winning culture. Oh, I, I think that's always been the biggest detriment to why you would add him in the first place, in my mind. Um, so, but again, they've gone down this road and they chose the, the fork in the road and they went off in one direction. And now they have to continue down that road, in my mind. Um, so, it, that, I don't see they have really any other option other than to sign him, make it work as long as possible and then move on and see what they can get for him down the road. I, I don't think this is going to work long term. But in my mind, for what you gave up for him, you can't just let him walk now because I think you're even farther behind than what you were at the end of last season going into this year. And now suddenly the Luca clock is ticking. And uh, can you rebuild this team and get it competitive again? Uh, and again, remember, this team's only – what, 13 months removed from being in the Western Conference Finals. And now you're talking about missing the playoffs and then being a worse team coming back next year. Uh, and this is a worse team if they don't re-sign Kyrie Irving going into next season. So, uh, and now suddenly you look at it, so you go into the Western Conference Finals and the two off-seasons after that, you lose Jalen Brunson, who's your second best player. You trade away two starters to New Jersey to get Kyrie Irving, who once again is the second best player, and now you lose him. 
that just that puts you back years as far as your development. So um, while I think you can question the Mavericks tying themselves to Kyrie Irving in the first place, the moment they did, they had to pursue this with him going forward or it really was taking the franchise back to, I wouldn't say ground zero, but about as close as you can get. All right. Well, on, on that uplifting note. Yes. On, on mentioning the Mavericks being back at ground zero. Listen, I, I will just say the idea of long-term losing after after covering the Rangers for the last six seasons um, and watching bad baseball year after year, Listen, it doesn't matter to me because I'm going to the ballpark every day, one way or another, and I'm looking for a story. And there's, quite frankly, there's probably as many stories with bad baseball teams as there are with good baseball teams. But it is enjoyable, more enjoyable to just watch a crisply played game, whether it's basketball or baseball. And the idea that the Mavericks fans could be in for any kind of stretch here, um, particularly with a player of Doncic's caliber, of Doncic's caliber, uh, where they would go uh, uh, any kind of elongated period of time without the playoffs would be, I think, really depressing for them. Um, and then that's that, the constant messaging of how could you not put a better team around him all this time? Yep. And now he starts to hear that. And while I do think he wants to be here, uh, when you're constantly hearing, well, this team has done him a disservice. He's not going to, you know, he's farther away than when he got in the league five years ago. From, from realizing his potential because of the mismanagement around him. Uh, that's going to impact uh, hit when it comes time for him to make a decision about whether or not he wants to stay here. So you kind of can create a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, with, with where your franchise goes. So this is, uh, again, like I said, once they went with Kyrie Irving, I think it was imperative that they go forward with him and, and make this work as long as possible. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And... All right. Well, with that, um, we'll uh, offer our congratulations again to Kevin. Um, I'm sure he's in North Carolina at the present moment, walking around with his Sports Writer of the Year award, just kind of like. My guess walking. is he thanked us in his acceptance speech about how he couldn't have done it without you and me. Don't Probably. you think? Probably. But I think yeah. he's he, like I think he carried it with him to breakfast and sat it down, and <laughs> just in case anybody wants to know, yes, I, I am the Texas Sports Writer of the Year, and, and yes, I have won it for thirty eight years. Um, but f- other than that, for all of us in here, to all of you out there, I do want to say we are going to take next week off for the Fourth of July holiday. We'll spare you our traditional. Fourth of July spectacular in which we play march music and all kinds of stuff. Um, I do my John Philip Sousa. John Philip Sousa. Um, I do like when you dress up. And the week, the next week is the All Star Game. I will be in Seattle, and uh, it, I think we're going to have to. So, wait. how could anyone else do this podcast without you? So, of course, uh, we won't be having a podcast. That correct. So, I think we will be back on on uh, the week of July eighteenth. Um, call this our little summer break. When we come back, we will be counting down the days to the trade deadline and to Cowboy Camp and David telling us about the marine layer in Oxnard. Um, and so I just want to wish everybody a, we just want to wish everybody a happy 4th of July and a happy summer vacation and uh, we will see you in three weeks. So long everybody. <laughs>